Sorry, I couldn't resist. Yeah, uh, so the Gophers, if you don't know, they're 9-0, and first time since 1904. Yeah, so uh, being an alum, I'm very, very happy. I, I've been praying and hoping for years and years that I'd be able to go to the Rose Bowl, to go to Pasadena, see the Gophers before the rapture. So there, there's, a, there's a chance, we have a chance, but think about 1904, that was the, uh, during the Roosevelt administration, not Franklin, Theodore. And... Uh, Jared Luck was telling me that that year they, uh, I think they won the national title in 1904, but they p- actually played a high school team that year and beat them 120 something. What was it, Jared? Yeah, against the high school team. So, anyways, that's not why I'm up here, though. I'm very happy. Um, we are beginning a brand new series, as you can see behind me in the slide. Is He said what? And this is going to be a, just a short three week series before we, we begin Advent cannot believe Thanksgiving's around the corner and so is Christmas. Wow. But uh, over these next three weeks, we're actually going to look at a section of Scripture that's called the, the, the hard teachings or the hard sayings of Jesus. And I was really fortunate in seminary that I had a professor, uh, Bob Stein, who actually wrote a really good book just on this topic because there's a number of uh, passages where Jesus teaches something and you're like, what? And maybe you've come across that before. And so this morning, I'm going to look at uh, a verse and, and really dive into that. And then next week, uh, we're going to look at another verse. And, and, and perhaps for you, it's not just the, the, the hard teachings of Jesus, but there's also some other passages in the Bible where you're, you're like, I can't believe it's saying that. Does, does God really mean that? And we tend to, to uh, kind of gloss over them or just kind of forget about them and, and look at the verses that we really like. But this morning, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, Verse 48. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to that. This is a section of the scriptures called the Sermon on the Mount, and scholars refer to it as the greatest sermon in the history of the world. And it's Jesus teaching on a number of things. And, and one scholar calls this the, the Magna Carta of, of Jesus' uh, gospels, of, of his teachings. This is really the backbone in some ways of, of what he meant and what he was teaching to his followers. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Let me pray for us as we begin. God in heaven, I pray that you would anoint me as I speak, Lord. I feel inadequate. I feel um, very much I fail you and uh, way too often. And God, yet you've called me to be a pastor, to be a spokesperson. And I pray that you would use this time to speak to me, to teach me and teach this congregation as we look at a, a difficult passage and in doing so, God, um, as we go through the series, that we would ra- begin to raise questions. Questions are good. Uh, too often, we just want to jump to the answer and, and move along our way. But to actually uh, step, step back and slow down and ask questions when we come to a passage in a good way. Not in a doubting way, not in a skeptical way, but in a way that causes us to learn. We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everybody said... Amen. Matthew 5, 48. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Uh, you can pull up on your app, or, you, or perhaps you can pull up on uh, your um, different apps and Bible apps that you have. Um, and we uh, begin here in verse 48. But you are to be perfect. I'd like you to circle that word. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. I'd like you to circle that second word of perfect. So obviously Jesus is trying to emphasize something here when he says perfect. And what does he mean by that? 
And, and we come to this, and I don't know if you've ever come across this passage. I remember the first time I read this in high school, I was like, how, how is that possible? How is that possible to be perfect? Is Jesus, does he really mean that? Does he really mean that you can get to a, a stage in life in your Christianity or, or your faith that you actually may be perfect? John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, actually believed that you could re- get to a point in your Christianity, a stage in your Christianity, where you could, could uh, sin no longer. And I don't believe that. Um, but what, what does Jesus mean when he says to be perfect? And what we need to do is really look at this passage. And it raises three questions for us. If you want to follow along with our teaching notes, uh, the first question we need to answer is, what exactly does Jesus mean by perfect? And this is bringing a difficult word into perspective. This is what we need to do when we come to Scripture, is when we come across a passage that we have perhaps a question, and, and really look at the grammar, look at the word. Sometimes we talk about context. That's important as well, what was happening in the culture during that time in the first century. But for us right here, I think, is to ask the question, what does that word perfect really mean? And it's, uh, when you uh, look at our dictionary, the Merriam-Webster dictionary, uh, perfect means to be uh, free from any flaw, faultless. And when you think about that, again, is it something that Jesus really meant? Is he figurative here? Uh, Does he really mean this literally? And what we need to do is look at the actual original word, the Greek word, and you have in your teaching notes, and we have a slide up there, is teleos. Teleos can mean perfect, definitely, but it also means the state of being whole, being complete. And I, I think that's a better translation, my opinion. And I've taught this before uh, as a youth pastor and different settings that when it comes to this word, I think it's be whole, be complete, as your Father in heaven is whole and complete. I tend to re- refer to the NIV version because that's locked in my head. And, I, and the NLT is a little bit different, but what it's talking about is being whole. So the definition is, is a state of being whole. And it infers for us that, that to be whole, to be complete, means that we're broken. We're broken. And you go back to creation, for example, and if this is the human life, if, if this is humanity that God created in the beginning, it is meant to be beautiful. And, and Paul talks about it as a masterpiece, that you and I are formed kind of like this uh, glass vase, boss, uh, how it's formed in a certain way, and it's clean, it's pure, and that's what, God, that's what God's desire, that was his plan for humanity, was for humanity to be uh, clean, uh, clear, and to be innocent, pure, and to be something that was actually a masterpiece, beautiful. And not like this vase is a big masterpiece, but, you know, kind of playing along with me in this story here. So this is what God meant. And what happened, the band told me to put my glasses on for eyewear. I said, ah, I grew up on a farm. We broke stuff all the time. But this, is, this hammer represents sin in a lot of ways. And when sin came in, it didn't simply put a gap between us and God. It didn't simply put a gap between us and our fellow person. It didn't put a, a gap or a barrier between us and the created world. It actually broke us. It shattered us. Like that. Isn't that cool? That's the little boy part of me that loves to break things. That was fun. It actually worked, too. I was really glad. Because you really can't practice that. But anyways, it's, it's, it's this, this idea that we're, we're broken into a, a bunch of different little pieces here. Now, this is where it's actually dangerous for me because 
I'm not the best at multitasking, so I hope I don't cut my hands. Anyways, but that's what sin did. It broke us. It broke us into a million little pieces. And so when we talk about Jesus Christ and believing in Christ, it's not only the fact that we believe in him to save us, but also that he is at work in our lives, the Holy Spirit at work to put these pieces back together. It's not just about the future in heaven, and I love that. But when we talk about being whole and being, being complete, as we think about that, that's what Christ is trying to do. He's trying to make us whole and complete again, bringing the, the pieces back together, and, and he actually invites us to, to join him in doing that in our own lives, but also in this world. We have a broken world. We have a world that is broken in a bunch of pieces. That's what sin has done. That is, that is what the kingdom of evil has done. And he invites us not to grab the hammer, but actually to grab the pieces and join him in putting them back together. And you and I are called to do that in our own lives. Now to do that, to actually pursue this wholeness, this idea of being complete, is hard. We need help. And Christ offers that, where he comes into us. And, and I, I just think, I want to emphasize it one more time. I, I, again, I think we talk a lot about in Christianity about the future, what, where we're going when we die, and that's important. But there were so many times in my life uh, that I, I needed a Savior now, today. I need something for today, because my life is broken right now. And yeah, heaven's going to be great, and everything's going to be put back together, but I need, I need a God for now, and today, and tomorrow. And I think some of you as well. And that's what I love about this passage, because it's talking about uh, actually being whole and complete. And that's something that can occur in our lives. Maybe not fully, but that actually that, that can occur through the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit in our lives. Also, when it comes to the Bible, that we come to a verse like this, verse 48, sometimes we kind of pluck that verse out and, and hold it up and say, okay, we're going to create a doctrine around this. We're actually going to create a worldview around this one verse. And we do that at times. We, we just kind of take a verse out, but you got to remember that the Bible wasn't written in chapters and verses. There was paragraphs. So sometimes when you come to a word or a, a phrase like this, even if you don't do the, the, the grammatical study of uh, teleos and what it means, you can look at the preceding material. If you look at the, the couple of verses before that, Jesus says, you know, love your enemies. Love those who persecute you. And, and as we do that, as we look at our relationships, then we're going to be made whole and complete. That's a process. And a big part of that are our relationships that we have. And God is calling us. And then you can look at other parts of the Bible too that if you were simply to say that, have that, okay, it's perfect, we have to be perfect, but then compare it to the rest of the canopy of Scripture. And that's your other fill in the blank. You got to compare it to the rest of the Bible. That's why it's so important to read the rest of the Bible because you would take that verse and then you, you come to Romans 3.23 for all have fallen short. So, you know, we can't be perfect. So it's important for us to look at that. And it's, and it's not as if the Bible contradicts itself. But we have to compare it to other parts of the Bible. That's why it's so important uh, to read uh, the Bible on a regular basis. And, but as we, as we uh, pursue uh, wholeness, and I'm going to talk about it in my third point, but as we, as we pursue wholeness, is actually uh, difficult. It means taking risks. It means actually to uh, look at relationships that we have, people in our lives, that maybe there's, there's this, this conflict, there's this broken piece to our relationship. And, and living out Matthew 5, 48 means going back and, and bringing some healing to that, or at least trying 
As Paul says, as far as it depends upon you, live, live at peace with everyone. And there's going to be some relationships that you can't, but you can try. Like, for example, a friend of mine a few weeks ago, where uh, we had this sort of conflict um, three or four years ago, and it was just kind of hanging out there, and whenever I saw him, it, it, I could always tell there was this, this gap, this sort of gap in, in our relationship. We were cordial. Uh, we had good conversations, but there was always, there was always this thing, this thing that was uh, caught, uh, circumventing really for us to have a whole and complete relationship. And I just called him up. I said, we've we got to get, get together. We need to talk together. And I shared with him um, about what I've been feeling, and he felt the same thing. And so we talked about that conflict that occurred a while ago. And in doing so, I just, I just felt like God was putting the pieces back together. It wasn't, it's not going to be fully complete yet. We still have work to do. But the fact is that we're, I was taking a broken part of a relationship from the past and trying to bring healing to it, trying to bring some completeness to it. And some of us need to do that, don't we? We have friends, we have family. Uh, it may be your spouse you're sitting next to. It might be your kids where there's this broken aspect and, and maybe it's way back there from the past and you, and you just kind of moved on. But to really live out Matthew 5, 4, 8 means you take the step and it's hard, it's risky, it's, it's putting yourself out there, and they, and they may not want to at first, but keep trying, keep trying. I have a friend who um, was best friends, uh, him, and his, actually, uh, him and his wife were best friends with this other couple, they were in a small group Bible study, and, and for years, and then some kind of rift occurred, and I was golfing with him a few months ago, and I just remember him saying, I'm not giving up. He keeps trying, he keeps calling this guy and, and trying to get together, the, the, the four of them together, and try to talk this through, and they've tried a couple of times and still they can't get through it, but he said, you know what, I'm not giving up. That's, that's seeking wholeness. That's pursuing wholeness. It's not, not leaving it to the broken pieces, but actually being uh, a, per, a person of God that actually seeks healing in that. The second question that we need to ask when this comes to this passage of Matthew, Matthew 5, 48 um, what is Jesus also teaching in this brief passage? What else is he, is he teaching? Not only the fact of, of being whole and being complete, but also I think in your, in your teaching notes you can fill this in, is that wholeness is not determined by following a, a list of rules. Okay, It's not, it's not um, determined by an obedience to a list of rules and regulations. And what we see in Jesus, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, what he's talking about is actually orienting your life, aligning your life in a way where you love him and you worship him, and then you also seek to love those around you. It's not a list of rules. Wholeness and completeness doesn't got, does not come with rules. There's not a formula to it. And that's why I think it's challenging for us. But it's trusting the work of Christ and seeing what he did too in his own life. Seeking wholeness and completeness. Because in the day of Jesus, and I've mentioned this before, when many times you actually see Jesus say, go in peace. Uh, go in peace. Uh, your faith has saved you. He, he mentions that a lot of times. He says to the disciples, one of his last words, go in peace. Peace be with you. And that word peace is shalom in the Hebrew. Many of us know that. And it wasn't simply just like a salutation or a, a word. It was actually a way of living. A way of living that that included completeness and wholeness. It meant to be in right relationship with God, right relationship with self, right relationship with our, our, our neighbor, the people around us, and also right relationship with the, the, the created world, with uh, the nature that God created. And that is shalom. 
And that's all about wholeness and completeness. And some, maybe that, that sort of picture that you have of shalom, there might be something in there that God is speaking to you on that you need to seek wholeness and completeness because that was something that Christ and his followers are trying to live out, to live in that way. And for me, when I think about um, seeking wholeness and uh, chasing after it with, with the help of Christ, that in doing so that I display love and mercy to those around me. Love and mercy and grace. And without any strings attached. I think as I seek to do that in my relationships, that there are not strings attached. God has really given me an opportunity to become a friend to a person um, who's in a gay relationship. And for that person, um, he has walked away from the church. Um, he's just had horrible experiences with the church. And God has called me to really develop a friendship with him and to share the gospel, be a friend, to listen, to pray for him. Sometimes God calls us into those settings like that that you may not have predicted, but those promptings that, the, that Christ brings in our lives, those little whispers, or perhaps you just feel like, you know, this in your, in your gut, you ought to take that step. And I felt that way with this, with this uh, new friend. And God has shown me something in doing that. And I think in, in doing that, it's... it's trying to help this, this person with wholeness and completeness, but also for me in my life too, is taking that risk. Yes. Also, Jesus wants us to work to make our Heavenly Father's character visible in our lives. And again, it's the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit of putting those pieces back together so that we rightly reflect who God is to the, to the world. And so often we hear this, that people, you know, when, when they, um, maybe they, they're not Christians, they don't go to church. I've heard it many times. Hey, it's not, it's not Christianity I have a hard time with. It's the Christians. It's the Christians. And there's something here uh, as the church, as people of God, that we need to really look at. Am I reflecting? Am, am, am I reflecting who God is to those around me? Again, I can't be perfect. I have flaws, but even, even in my life, is there something that I can do to reflect who God is? Because that was God's plan in the very beginning. It was not only making this beautiful humanity, but also that we would reflect who God is, that we were image bearers, imago Dei in the Latin. And, and, and for us to recapture that here in the 21st century, to actually believe that you and I can go out and reflect who, Christ, uh, who God is as image bearers with grace and mercy, and maybe it's benevolence, maybe it's helping somebody in, in need. Uh, we have many opportunities where we reflect God to those around us. And I, I just love so much uh, this past Wednesday, uh, many of you were here to uh, put the kid pack together, the food for uh, the children at uh, Birch Grove Elementary. And I was able to watch the video they made too. And you know what? Maple Grove Covenant, you're reflecting God to that, that school. You're reflecting God. You're image bearers. You're reflecting God to those, those kids. And it's just absolutely beautiful to see that. And God invites us to do that. And God's calling us to do that, for example, in the Dominican Republic. And we have a trip coming up in, in uh, February uh, for uh, the guys and uh, people in our church, actually, the, to actually go down to the DR and really work at putting pieces back together for families and individuals in need in the DR. And as they, they're doing that, they're reflecting who God is. You know, sometimes uh, it's important what we say 
uh, to those who don't know God or those who are opposed to God, but also I think there's a lot to be said about our actions as well. It's like St. Francis of Sissy once said, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. Well, I think you've got to use words, okay? Um, but our actions, and St. Francis, if you know anything about him, he tried to live in a certain way where he was reflecting God to the people around him. Again, he was sinful, he made mistakes, but he tried the best he could to reflect God to be an image bearer, and what a difference he made. He made a big difference. And for us to do that in our relationships, and, and Jesus also is showing right here that in this uh, passage of Matthew 5, 48, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect, is, is that he's showing that we're not, we're not left alone to try, to, or try to reach a standard. Because as you read through the Sermon on the Mount, Christ is talking about, I am with you. You're not going on this alone. And for those of you who are in community groups as well, you have people around you as they pray for you and as you meet together in community groups, about 60% of this church, they're in community groups. And for us, as we gather together in those groups, and we have men's groups and we have women's groups as well, that we're trying together to help one another to really reflect who God is and to, be, and to seek wholeness and completeness. It's amazing. And the final question I want to ask, and this is the, this is the big one, how can you and I pursue wholeness? How can you? What does it mean like, what does it mean for you in your zip code of life to actually seek wholeness and completeness? What are those shards, those broken pieces in your life that as, as I was talking, you're like, yeah, I, I need to do something about that. And maybe it's at work. There's something broken there. And for you to take that risky step to actually seek wholeness. And maybe the result doesn't work out that way, but God will bless you in the process that, that, that as you seek to do this, that he's going to bless you and that he is going to be working in your life during that as well. And I think that um, for us, when it comes to this pursuing wholeness in your uh, teaching notes, our character needs to grow and mold so that we will be like Jesus. That's what wholeness looks like. It's growing and being molded in the way of Christ. And None of us are, are capable of being flawless, but we fall in the way of Christ. And in, in many times we uh, fail to make the grade more often than not. But those failures should not discourage us. Um, it's the courage to continue that counts. I'm reminded, uh, it's kind of apropos in light of uh, Veterans Day, one of my life quotes that I've carried with me for a long time, and I've mentioned it here many times, is from Winston Churchill. Uh, Success is never final. Failure is never fatal. It's the courage to continue that counts. I love that. And for us, as we seek wholeness, it's the courage to continue to do that. And it's going to be different. It's countercultural. Our culture doesn't do that. It's, you know, if there's a, a problem or something like that, it's their fault, and you just kind of move on, blame that person, and you move on with your life. But what if, as the people of God, that we actually uh, slow down, and maybe it was their fault, but we actually try to seek some reconciliation? Because you and I are called to be ambassadors of reconciliation, as Jesus talks about. That you and I are meant to, to reach out and reconcile whatever is going on in our lives. Next, in your teaching notes, Christ-likeness Christ needs to be our goal. We must separate our lives from the values of this world. Because I think in our culture, wholeness 
if you were to even use that term, that's not a term that's used very often, but if you use that term, I think the concept for people in the world is actually having stuff, having enough material possessions so that their life can be complete, to have a certain car, to have a certain house, have a certain income. And it's interesting what's, uh, what's been happening for, for actually centuries, this idea of possessions. And in fact, um, we read about stories of people who are buried with certain objects because they feel like that possession or that thing, I need to have that. I need to take that with me into the afterlife. For example, we read about the ancient Egyptians who were buried with food and everyday objects, even furniture. If you read your history books, because they want to have access to them uh, in the afterlife. And then also there's a uh, true story about an ancient Chinese emperor who had an army of 6,000 soldiers buried around him. And, and not that they were killed, but as they died, he had these soldiers that he, he uh, oversaw, and they were actually buried around this emperor's grave because he wanted to feel safe. He wanted to have protection in the afterlife. And according to a survey of funeral directors in America, an increasing number of families are depositing memorabilia in their deceased one's uh, casket. Some caskets even have a drawer for mementos. Some have above-ground grave sites uh, that are glass-covered and then sections where objects actually can be viewed as they go visit that, that grave site. For example, there was a guy who's an avid golfer. He was buried with his, his golf, uh, golf balls and his golf clubs and his golf bag, too. This one person who was really into, into gambling, he was laid to rest, true story, with dice and a winning hand. One man who was rarely without his phone, again, true story, he was actually buried with a cell phone. So in the Midwest, I think what, what, is, what is buried with a person may imply more than simply a sentimental honor. Occasionally, for example, farmers in the Midwest, and I've, I've I grew up on a farm, and I, I heard about this. And actually, I think I remember as a young boy going to a funeral, this one farmer had lost a hand. And that happens. They lose a hand or a foot uh, due to farm equipment. And then before they, their, their death, they will ask, actually ask the funeral director when they die, because uh, they saved the hand or foot, by the way. I don't know where they put it. I don't want to know where they put it. But um, they have it reattached to their body when they're um, actually laid in the casket. Because they want to be whole. They want to be complete. It's very interesting. But wholeness does not occur through things. It does not happen through a reattached hand. It doesn't happen with 6,000 soldiers buried around you. Wholeness comes from the work of God in us. And like me, you see many signs here in Minnesota under construction, and that's what wholeness is. Wholeness is embracing the construction that's going on in our lives. It's embracing the potholes, the bumps in our lives and not giving up, having the courage to continue. Wholeness comes as we embrace that we are under construction, but that we are trying to seek wholeness through the work of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. Who is God calling you to reconcile with? Who is God calling you to actually uh, try to mend things, to, to seek wholeness? Who is that person? And maybe in your notes you can write that name down, that, that this is going to be a big step for you, because it is. Um, but you're going to write that name down, and you're going to pray, and you're going to ask God, uh, help me, God, to actually reach out and begin something. And, it's, and maybe it's been years. And some of you know my story, that my, my parents got divorced when I was about three years old, 
And then my biological father stayed in relationship with me and my older sister, Kim. She's two, older, two years older than me, lives out in Portland. And um, uh, we, when we were kids, he main, maintained contact. He'd come and see us up until the age of about seven or eight. And my sister was nine. And then it's like he fell off the face of the map. And we, we had no idea where he, where he was. And all of a sudden, when I was 13 and my sister was 15, he reappeared again in our lives. I remember getting a 10-speed bike, blue 10-speed bike. I can still remember it exactly. I got for Christmas in my eighth grade year. And then pretty soon, within a year and a half, um, he was gone again. And years passed, about 18 years to, to be uh, uh, specific. And I just felt God um, uh, wanting me to really seek wholeness. And that meant to look up my biological father and actually try to just meet with him and talk to him. And that was the hardest thing I had to do. I, I would say one of the hardest things I had to do. And I remember, I remember exactly where I was when I actually, because my mom helped me find him. He was in Milwaukee. And dialing the phone in my office that the church I was working at, I, I can see it right now. And actually, you know, dialing, um, this is pre, before cell phones, by the way, uh, but dialing, dialing the, the phone and, and I'd hit like four or five digits and I'd hang up. It's, it's kind of like in high school when you're calling like a boy or girl that you want to date. And you're like, you know, five, five digits. I got a laugh over here. Six digits, seven. It's like you hang up. I kept hanging up, and finally I just I had to go for it. And just clinch, you know, white knuckling in that conversation. And I didn't know what to call him. I didn't, you know, dad, Ron, dad. I didn't know what to do. But um, long story short, God did something in my life. Um, I don't think I would have the character or, or be the kind of person I am had I not taken that step because I trusted him and hung on to him as I sought to really bring back some brokenness in my life. And then it didn't turn out the best at the end, but I can tell you the, the years I had with him, it was remarkable. And also it took a lot of work of what, where he was, you know, my high school graduation, marriage, kids, he was never there and I think as we close this, that wholeness and completeness might mean that you have to embrace your weaknesses. I'm reminded of the story of Jacob in Genesis chapter 32 is that he wants to be blessed. So in a way, he wants to be made complete. He wants to be whole because Jacob, if you know his story, he had a lot of broken stuff in his life. A lot of, a lot of shards of glass, so to speak. And he's... he's talking with God, and he has this wrestling match with an angel or with God. Scholars are not quite sure, but it's an all-night wrestling match. It's like one of those ninja wrestling matches. And he, and he has this wrestling match, and it goes on for a while, and Jacob will not let the angel go until he's blessed. He wants that blessing. So what the angel does, you know the story, he reaps, reaches in his, uh, Jacob's hip socket and removes a muscle. And then he declares, Jacob, you are blessed. I'm paraphrasing. And yet, for the rest of his life, Jacob walked with a limp. And yet, he was blessed. He was whole. He was complete. Some of us are limping right now. Some of us are going to limp when it comes to wholeness and completeness. But it's embracing it. And it's trusting God that he's at work in our lives. Let me pray. Father God, thank you that you're a God who does not expect perfection. And in my view, how this verse has been misinterpreted and actually used as a leverage against people that um, have faults or had faults and had cracks in their lives. But God, we're reminded by the words of the Apostle Paul that we are, we are jars of clay 
and it's through our cracks that the light of Christ shines brightly. So God, we embrace that. And we embrace this pursuit of wholeness and completeness. And some of us have work to do. And God, we need your help. We cannot do this humanly. We can only do it through your supernatural power. Because God, you are good and you're great. And you are present in our lives. You're present here with us right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this time we receive this morning's offering. And this is an opportunity for us to give back to God. What God has given us in our jobs and our income is for us to give back to him a portion of that.